welcome to the Hex Knight Podcast. I am David. And I remain Ivan. And tonight, uh, we're going to be talking about ways to kind of change campaigns by taking standard components that everyone is used to out, uh, especially like elements of setting, uh, character motivations, and other things along the line that drive storylines and drive conflict and all the things that make a campaign work. So we're looking at ways we can kind of change the foundation and the lay of the land of a campaign to create a new and unique experience for the players and to create a new way for game masters to kind of orient the way they come up with games. And uh, Ivan, as usual, had some great ideas. So I'll just let him uh, dig into the first, uh, I guess, concept removal that would create an interesting new gaming paradigm. So take it away. Or at least it'll hopefully create an interesting like experience. Um, I like in life, I like doing like a random little like a stupid challenges, like go without something for a week or, and you know, like that was kind of what I was thinking about for uh, gaming. Um, like Dave said, there's a lot of things we take for granted because they're basically like the foundational stones, not just of like role playing games, but really a lot of storytelling, you know, like a lot of, um, I think a lot of like RPGs story arts are essentially like eighties action movies. Totally. Uh, and we tend to have a lot of the same tropes. Um, so, and I think it's important sometimes to like step back and take all of the things that we have and we take for granted and maybe evaluate the, are they actually necessary? And what happens if we take them out? Um, so the first on that list is to run a fantasy campaign with the elves and the orcs and the dragon and all of the other things, but with a no magic, no spell casting, no magic swords. You still have all the different creatures and monsters in the world, uh, but you don't have any uh, plus three sort of penetration to fight them with. And there's no wizard to uh, to heal your wounds or shoot laser bolts at the monsters. So what happens to your setting when you say no spells? Sure. So you have no middle of the earth Gandalf riding in to save the day. Right. Like if somebody's going to ride in to save the day, they're going to have to have some sort of different things to it. I mean, you could even have it... Um, you know what it actually would probably feel like or could feel like if you were going to do it? Hmm. Um, like a Wild West movie, but like with uh, dwarves and hobbits and everything. So you're out in the like dangerous frontier. There's like dangerous animals. There's, um, you know, like different tribes of people. And I don't want to do the orcs or Native Americans thing, but you can kind of like follow the same ideas, you know, you got hop, hobgoblin war camps and stuff. You got like hydras lurking in the bushes. And if you get yourself in trouble, you're going to have to wait for like the literal cavalry to like show up and, uh, and save you. Cause there's no wizard to come rolling in and do it. Right. Sure. I, it would also change the way like a, a party would set up camp. Uh, I would change fortifications and how defenses of communities would be organized. Like, I was thinking to kind of work off your idea there, something like the Alamo. 
<laughs> or, or like kind of like or a like disaster. Ro- yeah, or like uh, Roman fortresses, like uh, Roman legionnaires would always like entrench themselves when they made camp because um, you can't rely on like your wizards to provide that extra firepower. So you're going to have to like be more cautious about it. So maybe you have, because each of these communities has to essentially defend itself, right? Or they have to defend themselves with like normal like swords and spears against like, you know, crazy D&D monsters. Um, maybe they do rely on fortifications. Maybe they're like located more closely together. Maybe you have like uh, a signal system, kind of like um, the like mountain fires and like uh, Lord of the Rings where they can signal to each other for help. Like, uh, so, you, so when like a bunch of like beholders show up and start like eating all the sheep, uh, you can send like a warning signal to like for everyone's like get over here and uh, bring your axes, or for everyone's like definitely don't come over here because you're all going to be like eaten by beholders. Mm-hmm. So then, would certain creatures like beholders uh, have their abilities still? I think it's the thing where you're going to have to like make kind of an arbitrary distinction. Um, Mm -hmm. in um, one of the games I played growing up, they had this thing where they distinguished between things that were straight-up magical abilities. So, for example, like a basilisk looking at you and turning you to stone, that's magical. Mm -hmm. Uh, Versus things that are, like, sort of physical or, like, biological abilities, but in a fantasy world. So, like, a dragon Mm -hmm. shooting fire is part of its, like, physique. So uh, so you could do something like that. Um, So you... I would probably, like, kick out, like, you know, like, the actual Beholder, because it, you know, like an eight-eyed monster that shoots laser beams and death rays. <laughs> <laughs> that probably doesn't fit in the setting any longer. Um, <laughs> although, if you wanted to, you could. You you have this world where, like, the gods are insane, and they're sending all these crazy monsters into the world. You know, like, it almost becomes this, like, fantasy, like, apocalypse, like, anime style. Yeah, yeah, that's, or, uh, like dusk till dawn where they're just like people are set upon just normal people trying to go about their business or completely besieged by madness. Right. That, be yeah. That would be really cool. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it almost becomes, yeah. Like it's, uh, this like bizarre world. You could even do like, uh, kind of like, um, old Zelda games have like the day and night cycle. So like you can travel in the day cause it's normal and you can like go about your business. But when night comes, you gotta be like within the walls. Cause otherwise there's just like crazy monsters roaming around in the, and like it could work on like, you could still be like a big damn hero. I mean, you know, you could still be like Bruce Willis. Right. Um, yeah, but you're without like your sort of annihilation and your armor of impenetrability and all the other crap that heroes tend to have like a bolted to every like part of them. Right. <laughs> so, and of course it means, um, you know, things like healing. There's not really a way to, um, to like rapidly heal up. If you get fucked up in combat, you're going to have to mm-hmm. like go lie down and rest up. So it might work for a game that's more episodic. Like we mm-hmm. mount an expedition out to this place. Then we rest for a week. Then we do the next mission. Then we have two weeks, you know, like it kind of has a pace to it. Kind of like a TV show. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. Rollmaster, I felt, kind of had that. It... Yeah, uh, Rollmaster also had all the different, like, herbs that can do healing, which... That's true. You know, so if you want it, but even then, that still has, like, because you have to, like, go out and find those, and you have to prepare them, and you have to... I mean, if you want to go, like, full, like, overboard with that, you know, you can look up, like, 
we're in like a northern temperate climate on the downslope of a mountain. That means, you know, <laughs> you know, if you want to go balls out in, with that stuff, uh, that could be fun because uh, there's always going to be like one dude at the table who's into that. Right. But otherwise, you can just have like, you know, a price list. That's fine. Too. <laughs> um, one thing that we did in the game I'm finishing up now is that healing potions have a delay. So they don't really work in combat. So you could get healing potions, which in the setting like herbal potions. Um, but they, they help you heal like for the next encounter or the next battle. Or if you're traveling, you get hurt or something. But they don't help you like in the middle of a fight, which is kind of a cool change. Because it allowed us to not get too bogged down because the pacing wouldn't really fit like a really long rest periods. Um, mm-hmm. But it still allowed like individual fights to be to have some drama to them. So which worked really well. I might do that again. Nice. Well, it certainly pushes the players to operate more tactically and not take as many risks. Yeah, because otherwise, like, a common thing is uh, we've all played, you know, like, Baldur's Gate and stuff, where it's like uh, your whole party can get knocked out, but as long as at the end of the fight there's one dude left with more than zero hit points, then you can just, like, (laughs) rest for 73 days in, like, this monster-infested grove, and uh, you're all back to normal. Right. (laughs) So encouraging the players to just be a little bit more, uh, you know, just pay a little bit more attention to things and take... Um, I'm a big fan of games where, like, I think you can almost always play up the danger of getting hurt. Um, You know, not necessarily to a point of being punishing, but I think for almost any game, uh, if you tone that up just a little bit, the experience is often better, in my opinion. Sure. Um, Now, this may be biased by the fact I don't really play games where that wouldn't be the case. You know, like, I don't really run superhero games where you wouldn't want that. Like, in a superhero game, you can throw for a wall and come back. Because that's just, you know, like, Superman just limp around after the fight against, like, the galaxy monster or whatever. Totally. Um, But on the other hand, like, I'm trying to remember the, the games we've played where they have, like, the hero points that you can spend to avoid getting hit or just, you know, kind of swashbuckling kind of things where you just get off because you're like the main character and that yeah, you I didn't actually like, get hit right yeah yeah totally you just barely dodge at the last second kind of more of like a serial kind of thing well and that kind of fits especially like an old-fashioned you you said serial and i think that's a really good comparison like old adventure stories like it was always assumed you know like indiana jones or whatever if a Nazi, like, gets him at gunpoint, he puts his hands up to surrender because if he gets shot, you know, um, he's going to be seriously hurt. But in a typical shootout, he's probably not going to get hit because he's the hero. So you can kind of get it, like, both ways with a system like that where the players can, like, you know, you have a resource. You can even have it um, fill up. I think we talked in one of the episodes about um, troubleshooters where like one of the things that recharges your hero points the quickest is letting yourself get captured by the bad guys, Mm. Um, which is perfectly like in genre. Um, And now you're filled up incidentally. Now you have all the hero points you need to, (laughs) to be able to help you escape. Totally. And you could apply that in, in any sort of gaming setting too. the work in fantasy is just, that kind of reminds me of like Kugel, yeah, exactly. Like, just like through dumb luck, you know. 
sure <laughs> <laughs> just stum- stumbles through it and you can come up with some bizarre explanation uh, but it also allows you to do this sort of interesting thing where you can have a world that is kind of a gritty bloody-minded place without playing characters that all end up being like one-armed one-eyed like ptsd victims <laughs> you know because like the first battle they were in you just got mangled and now your character has the shakes every time he like looks at the door oh geez so but yeah so that's the first idea uh do a box standard you can do this with almost any fantasy setting i will say this is probably a bad idea for like dungeons and dragons that assumes that like all of the characters are using magic as default like it'll work better for something else but this would be a perfectly fine like gerbs game or something oh yeah, yeah. you know or you could do it in, like a role master game even um that also means you don't have to read the uh, spell casting static maneuver table. I I mean, Rollmaster just kind of hates magic anyway. It's like they they put yeah. It you can definitely tell those <laughs> those guys had like bad experiences in their first D and D games, and they're like, "This guy gets to cast magic missile twice, magic missile twice a day. That's bullshit. Let's make him <laughs> uh, roll for it, and let's uh, write out how long it's gonna take him." Take for that. sure. And then he yeah. can't cast any more spells for like a week. Yeah, you definitely need, like, the... But then it's also... Because um, uh, I ran a uh, Middle-Earth game, or Merp, which is based off Rollmaster, and um, I think we oh, we had one, like, semi-spellcaster. Mm-hmm. And we got to, like, level 7, and suddenly, like, every time they leveled up, uh, that dude was getting, like, uh, 35 new spells or something. It was bizarre. <laughs> so there's definitely, like, a swinging point there. A delayed so, payoff. Yeah, you just have to. It's like the extreme version of D anD. d Like you got to suck it for the first like three or four levels, and then you start like rolling in the spells. Sure. So, but yeah, so bin all the magic and see what happens. Keep the monsters though. <laughs> so, um, what about undead? See, that's where it becomes really interesting. Um, I'm kind of because um, the game I'm running now is crap full of undead. So I kind of have an idea of the next fantasy game I do will not have any. Um, but I think you could keep it. Um, I would almost be tempted to say that if you're going to do undead, you should just do undead. Like there's no orcs or elves or beholders or any of that stuff, but there's like a whites and ghouls like everywhere. And, like it's right. crazy. Again, like kind of the apocalypse thing, like, you know, yeah, like or, the world was cast down or cursed somehow. And so, yeah, it's like a major world catastrophe. Makes sense. Yeah, or it's like the literal end of days, like the the god of death and life, like they're battling, and uh, depending on how your quests, that'll like push the balance and something. Like, how metal would that be? Right, right. Cool. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Plus, it gives you like an endpoint to the campaign. Like after like twelve oh. sessions, like yeah, it's the literal end of the world. Like no kidding. What happens? <laughs> that would be pretty good. Yeah. Um. So the second idea I had for limiting yourself, um, is. Have a campaign. This could be literally anything, but there are no bad guys. And that doesn't mean there aren't any enemies or opponents or rivals or forces trying to mess with you. What it means is that there is nobody in the game setting opposing you who is just an evil cretin. Everyone, even if they're cruel or ruthless or gnarly, has a motivation that is reasonable and sensible and Mm -hmm. is morally if not equivalent to yours, but close enough. So essentially it's like a morally gray, the game. <laughs> so the, the idea that came to mind was a, um, 
like a d- dynastic power struggle in like a medieval kingdom where everyone is essentially out for reasons of personal gain and furthering their family and their dynasty. So everyone is kind of like, you know, a property skullduggar and you're serving all of these people or you are these people um, sure. who all, you know, and some may be more or less ruthless than others. Some may be more or less benign to their, their serfs and underlings. Um, mm-hmm. But in the end, everyone kind of has like kind of equal motivations, right? Or equal claims. Um, well, it's interesting because like, I think you're kind of hinting at this idea that, that if there are no really strong bad guys, then there are no really well-defined heroes either. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, then it becomes, I think it would work really well for like a factional game where there's a bunch mm-hmm. of different like groups of factions you can be a part of. And because none of them are like cartoon villains, um, and I'm not saying the games with cartoon villains are bad. Like, you know, right. sometimes it's fun to just beat up on the Nazi orcs, right? Sure. I definitely or, yeah, clear out the the evil wizard. Yeah, you know, he wants to ruin the world because he's an evil wizard. It's what he does. It's what he went right. to school for. It's You can't even hold it against him. Uh, but it would be interesting to sort of, like, deliberately avoid that. Like, you could still have characters who are essentially, like, cruel assholes. Because, you know, real life is full of those, too. Sure. But they're not cruel assholes because they worship the god of deceit and domination. They're cruel assholes because, well, they were just kind of raised poorly. And now they work as, like, the the head assassin for, like, a power-hungry, like, French duke or something. Oh, sure. Or it's, like, a, a scientist who's, like... Or like an alchemist or something that's completely obsessed with their work and like reaching a certain goal that would actually benefit like the world, but they're ruthless and they're willing to do anything and everything and anything they have to do to get reach that goal. So they're like throwing player characters in the bu- under the bus or like toppling leaders and governments and stuff like that. Yeah, just kind of like have everyone be. Uh, that would actually be also be interesting. Make everyone like deliberately or intentionally be set up with like you know like quote good and bad sides to them that also like connected. So you have like the benign and gentle ruler who is unfortunately also like inefficient. So his kingdom is like um, rife with like bandits and criminals. Sure. Or you know like all the money is getting like pilfered out. So despite him being like. A gentle ruler. Um, all the peasants also ready to revolt because like nothing works, and uh, <laughs> all the right, public like, works are like falling apart. Yeah, the local sheriff under him is a gangster. He's like <laughs> forcing everyone to pay him protect protection money. Right, it's like the um, first like real quest you get in the original Fallout. You go to the mm. first little town, and the um, sh- there's a sheriff and like the gangster like uh, gambling den like. Th- guy oh right and you get to like take uh size and at the end of the game uh it turns out that if you help the sheriff who seems like he's you know he's a law and order guy uh he essentially turns into like a little like wild west hitler and like runs the place into the ground with his like iron fist <laughs> whereas the gangster dude doesn't care what people do so the town actually ends up becoming like a prosperous like uh, free market kind of place because he was just in it to like make a buck and he figures if everyone else is making a buck they're gonna gamble well, that's a great point in itself, like having characters that on the surface appear to have one type of motivation, 
but in the broader scheme, they're actually been you know, someone who appears to have dark motivations, but is actually benign or even friendly in like the larger scheme of things. Yeah, or they could be, depending on, uh, you know, like, because a lot of these are also, like, dependent. Like, every player is going to have, and every character is going to have, like, different values they put into it. You know, if you're the right. guy who, you've made a character who's, like, a knight, and, you know, like, his passion is to, like, drive corruption out of the kingdom. He may pick different enemies or um, different uh, forces of good than, you know, somebody else. Um, so I think it would be something where you would have to have like pretty strong characters, but it could be really interesting to do, you know, like, I don't, I'm not a fan of like the idea that like gaming is here to like teach us something, but it would be cool to have a campaign where it like asks some questions that you have to like kind of, even if you're doing it like in character, like you have to like mm-hmm. take a stand to it. It doesn't have to be a stand you agree with, you know, it's fun to play a character that's unlike yourself, but your character will have to like take a stand on these things and kind of like make hard choices about what they're what their values are worth and what they're willing to, uh, to give up for them. Totally. Totally. Immersion, you know, back to yeah. one of the things we always talk about. Um, yeah, absolutely. Then building cool characters. I mean, just talking about this, I think. Yeah. I think this would be well suited to something where you don't really like maybe even start with like your strength and the, agility like you start with like your characters like motivations and like their history like who are they and why do they believe what they do because then they're going to be primed to like when they start interacting with these people you know like you have the central conflict between like the merchant guild and like the the thief guild or something and then you can start like filling in all these like side groups and stuff it could be really sprawling like this is definitely like a note notebook kind of game yeah yeah you could even take it to the point with that idea where, like, you, you're building your characters as you go, kind of like mm-hmm. Traveler. Like, as you interact with the factions, like, you can write down notes and start putting together your stats and, and different things. But, yeah, you have, like, mm-hmm. those early beginning motivations and, like you said, background. And, like, otherwise your character sheets could be empty and... You know, it's, it's as the interactions go on, everything starts filling up until the point where some action really occurs. And by then you've got like a an organically created character, which I, that sounds really neat to me. Yeah, it's like a life path, but it's happening like at the table instead of happening before. Yeah. Yeah, that would be really cool, actually. Um, and it also I've always wanted to do something like that where it was like. Because you always get that thing um, when you're, like, playing a game and you've made your character and you pick your skills or whatever. And then you get to a point where, like, it turns out nobody has, like, a particular skill and it's just become yeah. stupid. Um, there was some game I read years ago. I don't remember what it was. Um, but it had a thing where you got, you had, like, your skill points to build your character. And then you had, like, a small pool of extra skill points that weren't assigned. And you basically got to, like... If during the game you found something you really wanted, you could just take one of those like leftover points and put it in. Oh, cool. So it was basically like the idea was you just had to like come up with like a one line description of like, oh, yeah, of course, like my character learned this from their uncle kind of thing. <laughs> there was like a way of like if you either got stuck or you or you realize you have forgotten something, your character ought to know this. Um, you could take anything that you hadn't tried to do before and like failed at because you didn't have the skill and you could just right. fail it in like you had it all along. 
Sure. <laughs> like, oh, that's right. My uncle taught me about mountain climbing and I got to escape this group of orcs. Right. Down on us. Could be you know, how that works. Right. <laughs> but it's one of those things, you know, it's like a, like it is kind of like a meta game mechanic, but it's one of those things just like acknowledging that role playing games are like these weird constructions anyway. So why not like embrace that a little bit? Oh, totally. Makes sense to me. Like uh, there was a game I was reading recently where one of the experience awards is uh, like if you buy like the pizza for the rest of the group that night, you get like bonus experience. Like that's in the book. <laughs> Breaking and it's the like, wall. yeah, like it's stupid, but it's like, yeah, we're here to like relax and have fun. So if you're like making that happen, you know, like, hey, here, have a bonus point. Nice. So the uh, third idea is maybe along the same lines, or it could be not be at all. And that is a game where you have no combat. Or at least you aim to have no combat. Obviously, you can't predict what will happen. Uh, but the story, the setting is set up that fighting is just not really the thing we're going to do. And my brain immediately for that goes like investigations. You know, you go around whether you're like agents or something or like you're, you know, bounty hunters or private eyes or something like FBI or something. Uh, but I'm curious because um, I feel like there's other things you could do with this that would be interesting because um, like a lot of times, um, and I've seen this all the time on like um, when you read like uh, people posting their jamming tips and stuff, a lot of times people say like, oh, if you're stuck on something, just like run a quick combat. It'll keep the game going for another 40 minutes and you can like, kind of do that on the fly and then like figure out some notes in the you know while you're doing that or you can kind of gather your thoughts or something or a lot of times like everyone has been in a game where you realize the gm isn't quite sure what's supposed to happen and you just like meet 3d6 orcs and fight them <laughs> right so okay. set yourself it's a challenge worst. that that um you know you're just not gonna do that like unless something exceptional happens or unless one of the players initiates it the game just isn't going to be about fighting dudes. So what do you do? Yeah, I mean, that's I could see that as like an X-Files type of thing. It was actually, I came up with this because we've been re-watching the original X-Files, and we have kind of a running, when me and the kid watch TV shows, we have like a game of like watching for certain tropes in the show. And one of them for X-Files is how often does one of the agents actually fire their pistol? And five episodes in, there's been one gunshot and it was into the air to scare off some wolves. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah, like an investigation kind of game, you know, like X-Files, you investigate, like, paranormal things, but they're generally stuff that you, like, you can't really fight. Like, you go mm -hmm. investigate something and it's a ghost. So, you, you know, or like you find like a crazy alien infiltrator and it's impervious to all of your stupid weapons, <laughs> you know, so you have to figure out like ways of dealing with this or documenting it or um, neutralizing it without really, you know, like you might still have a gun, like you might mm -hmm. have to intimidate, you know, some town yokel into giving information. Right. Um, the other I was thinking, um, but this could be difficult for a long game, I think, is an exploration based game. Where you're like the classic, like um, sort of like old, like pulp novels, like uh, explorers' tales. You know, you go find like uh, I mean, they often have some fighting going on, but you know, you're going into the jungle to find like an ancient temple, and it's full of like traps and stuff and tricks, and you have to like find you know whatever the thing is at the end. 
Well, it turns a role-playing game more into a puzzle game, which could be a lot of fun. I mean... If done well. Uh, right. I think you, you have to play with a GM who's, like, not a jerk when it comes to puzzles, but that could be really fun. Or, like, yeah. a, like a diamond heist. Like, the players are thieves in, like, a fantasy city, and it's, like, your apprenticeship. And uh, in order to... Um, to be fully accepted into the guild, you have to sneak into this, like merchant mansion that's like renowned for being full of traps and stuff. And you have to like get like some really valuable thing. Yeah, yeah, that that's perfect. And like uh, getting into a, a armed conflict would totally blow the whole thing, blow cover, and they'd get taken away, imprisoned. Yeah, you know, like everyone, if you run into something, you know, they're a guard in like full armor with a sword and you're like some street urchin with like a piece of wood. Like you're going to, this is going to be toast. Totally. You know, so you have to like sneak around. Like it would basically be like Thief the Dark Project, like that old um, computer game. Oh, yeah. I love that game. Yeah. You know, go full out even. Like give the player, you know, because you had all the different like arrows that did different things. Give people like, you know, all these different tools and tricks. Uh, and then at the end of it, of course, you play a trick on them uh, where it turns out that um, um, they find, like, the golden idol or something. And it turns out that, like, the merchant guild is actually in on it because a bunch of the people in the guild are, like, grifters and they will strike a deal with the thieves. But the, <laughs> but the trick is that um, only one person can get the idol. So only one person gets to, like, uh, get accepted. So now, like, you have, like, the Mexican standoff with all the thieves. <laughs> cool so actually and then you do the double trick uh because one of the uh, and you can even so here's what you do at the beginning when like the guild master who's like a mysterious shadowy figure nobody really knows his face right mm-hmm. um he's gonna tell them that the key to this mission is uh, for them to work together none of them have the skills to do this on their own mm-hmm and that could be true throughout, like, all the different challenges. Maybe there's different paths through the house. And, but there's a bunch of tricks and traps and encounters that you need more than one person for. So sure. at the end, they find this. And they find a little book or a piece of paper or something that says that only only the person who carries it back uh, gets to be a guild member. But the real test of it isn't just to steal the item. The real test is cooperation. So they got to, like, find a way of, like, for all of them to carry it back or something. Oh, Nice. Or, like, that's the second condition. Like, if they can all backstab each other and then one person comes back, but, you know, like, let them be clever, you know? Like, if they decide, like, we've come this far, we're going to, like, you know, honor amongst thieves kind of thing. Hmm. So that would be my take on it, at least. Yeah, I, the encounters would be really, could be really fun, too, where they're, like, trying to hide and there's a guard walking by and, you know, the the game master is kind of like playing out this guard being bored and tired and, you know, create that tension of they're coming towards you and mm-hmm. you can hear like their armor clanking and their weapons. Like they're like, yeah, you have like patrol routes and stuff like uh, basically like metal gear, you know? Oh yeah. 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 Totally. That'd and be you really can still cool. have some like tricks and traps, you know, like a magical monster that bars away or, you know, like you can, <laughs> you can do all kinds of stuff with it, but yeah, that would be really fun. Yep, a pet that makes a bunch of noise, like a crazy pet bird that they stumble right. into. <laughs> in um, the old fighting fantasy books, there was this uh, uh, choose-your-own-adventure type books. There was this creature called the Jib-Jib, and it was a little, like, 
furball on legs and his only real quality was that he could scream really loudly so you would find it in like like it would be sleeping it would just look like a little fur thing and if you touched it it would like wake up and start screaming like you know a thousand orcs would come running and kill you <laughs> that's how those books always worked yep yep i was thinking um maybe something could be set up in a, a cyberpunk setting with like Instead of the players running like kind of some hacking run where they're trying to steal, you're actually like security that's trying to defend data. Oh, so it's like reverse cyberpunk. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that would be really awesome, actually. Like you're the corporate like security team. Yeah, yeah, and you're you're setting. I don't I don't know how you'd set up them. I mean, usually they set it up like you've got avatars that end up like fighting and shooting each other. But if you could set a, yeah. I don't know, work with a set of mechanics that would make it more like puzzles. So you throw. Yeah, you can block certain entrances and access paths and stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and then you do it simultaneously. But you also have to secure like the physical location, you know, like mm -hmm. placing like sentry guns and cameras and you got like security bots and stuff. Um, but you have to like predict where the team is going to enter and what they're going to do to, uh, to like knock the power out and knock the lights out. Or are they going to infiltrate through the roof? And... Yeah. Yeah. There could be a really cool, like cat and mouse type situation where you're just trying to catch them. And then other authorities, the muscle would move in to like take, kill them or arrest them or whatever. So. Yeah, that would be really cool. Um, and again, you could sort of set it up like these guys, you know, they're like, you know, like hackers that weigh like 40, 40 pounds soaking wet with their I abuse Linux t-shirt. You're, you know, like a giant beefy, like uh, stereotype beast of a man. So if you actually catch them, you know, they're just going to surrender. Right, right. You know, uh, but the trick is catching them and making sure they don't like hack the like kill bot 2000, which will just eviscerate you instantly. If they oh, yeah. Yeah, that that's another great element to like throw in there. Mm. Just keeping them. I just wonder about what type of uh, rule system could be used to implement that type of thing, where it's like kind of simulating, I guess, countermeasures, or maybe you yeah, could just I'm dice trying rolls. to think. Because there's like, I mean, there's plenty of cyberpunk games, but they're all like based around the perspective of the intruder, because that's usually the role the player's in. Right. So you're gonna. Um, yeah, I think you might almost have to like create something like kind of bespoke for the purpose. <laughs> some homebrew. Homebrew up some stats and rules. Yeah, I mean, you don't necessarily need much. I mean, you can almost make it like it's just a map and you kind of like sketch out things. You can block this many paths and you can set up like cyber alarms and cyberspace on these number of paths or, you know, like yeah. make it kind of tactile. Because like in every like movie when they try to show this stuff, it always ends up being like this weird like Pac-Man, um, <laughs> you know. So just like embrace that. Like that's actually how like the matrix works or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, like all cyberpunk is essentially like just the 1980s, like in perpetuity. Yeah. Yeah. There's like some Tron aspect to it where you actually have gladiators running around with weird 
<laughs> cyber implements they're gonna yeah i'm, I'm kind of sore there's 2021 20, 20, now and we still don't have those like s- cyber bike things oh man right <laughs> like being a kid and watching that that was like the coolest thing ever oh yeah yeah <laughs> just kind of um and they even kind of carried that on into a akira bit with just like the really heavy tires and stuff and they're yeah i always had this feeling like the because they always do this effect in akira where like the there's like a streak of light from the um uh like the lights on the bikes and stuff i always wonder if that was like a light cycle reference I would, when you see somebody I like tearing off or something they always shows this like uh like a beam of light after them almost right like there's some sort of extra propulsion going on that gives them an extra kick yeah, you know, like if it was supposed to be like a reference to that. So, but yeah, so that's the three challenges I had. Uh, I guess you would combine all of them, but that might make it. Uh, that's like the the iron uh, iron GM, <laughs> you know. Wait, so no magic, no magic fantasy. Um, right. Because you could do like you could shoot and say, "Oh, it's a no magic game," because we're playing like a nineteen twenties like gangsters and. Cops game like uh like that's now you're being stupid that wouldn't be magic anyway <laughs> like unless you're playing like fantasy like elliot ness or something <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah so no magic fantasy uh a setting with no evil people at least not in a typical way and a campaign that's based around not really having combat no so, no hurting folks yeah i mean you can hurt you can be mean to them <laughs> Actually, um, there was some indie game I read. I forget what it was. It was one of these like two-page games that people churn out on their lunch break just for fun. Right. And it had a thing where essentially your character, there was like a small list of things your character could be, but all of them were either like a fighter or not a fighter. If you're not a fighter and you fight somebody else who isn't a fighter either, you both get messed up. Uh, if you're a fighter and fight somebody who isn't, then you just kill them. Or whatever you want to have happen. And if two fighters right. fight each other, then they like just butt heads unless one of them has brings a friend. So it's like this really there's no dice roll for it. It's just like if you're a fighter and the other guy's not, you just like hit him with your warhammer and he regrets existence. Right. Ow! And then he hits you back. Ow! Yeah, then, then you realize stop it. he's punching you wearing armor, so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you know. But yeah, like the, the whole point is to kind of experiment with things a little, you know, challenge yourself, try something you didn't think you could do. Um, and maybe something that's a little more interesting because originally I was going to say something like, oh, like try running like a historical game or something. But that's not, that's just a genre. That's not really like it. Yeah, it's good to run a different genre than you're interested in. But mm-hmm. um, that's just, and these are, I think, things you could do without requiring a whole bunch of research or things. Like, you don't have to go buy a new game. You don't have to go buy, you know, study it, like, a whole historical period or, like, a setting book. Like, these are all mm-hmm. things you could do in whatever game you already play, essentially. Yeah, yeah. That, you know. That's a perfect point and a perfect reason to start messing with things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't have to be, like, a thousand-year campaign. You know, it could be a, a one-shot or, like, a brief you know, three adventure quest or something, you know, like something off the, off the beaten path. It might be kind of fun. And I think the players will also often, you know, like if you played like D and D for any number of time, you kind of get to a point where like, you know, all the beats that are coming. 
Right. You know, like it doesn't. Yeah, this time it's were rats instead of owl bears, but in the end, it's still the mayor needed something done, and we went and we did it, and we got some <laughs> money, and now blah blah blah. You know. <laughs> so being torn out of that a little bit, I think, can be fun. You know, it's just subverting the expectations a little bit, and that, and then when you go back to like fighting were rats in a cave for the mayor again, it's you know, it's a little more fresh. We've haven't done that in a little bit. Right. Or just throw that into one session of a campaign. For some right, reason. yeah, just like shake things up. It's like the uh, bikini, like uh, beach episode in every like anime. Sure, <laughs> you know, like we're fighting robots for the survival of the earth, but let's have a beach episode. <laughs> you know, let's go party, go have some fun. Right. So, but yeah, so that's kind of what I had. Um, did we have any like nerdery we've been up to that we wanted to talk about? Oh, let's see, decent amount. Uh. Well, there's there's this video game I've been playing called the the Signal from Tolva, I think is hmm. really interesting. Yeah, what's um, about? It's it's like more of an atmospheric game, mm-hmm. it, and it comes with like this whole setting book that's over a hundred pages long. That's awesome. I just skimmed the setting book, so I didn't have the energy to really dig into it. But right, that's a lot of that's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, but uh, a big component of the setting is that like after humans, it's a sci-fi game. You have human expansion into the galaxy, and at a certain point, um, artificial intelligence becomes self-aware. And it just gets tired of human beings, and. It doesn't totally destroy them, but it just kind of takes over and casts them off. As mm-hmm. like, oh, we're the ones who built and maintained this like intergalactic kind of travel network, so it's ours now. And our main goal is exploring and like discovery. Mm-hmm. So the player character is an AI that's doing research on this strange signal from this kind of backwater planet. And so, like, there are different alien or different robotic factions, and they all kind of have, like, each faction has its major kind of, like, philosophy and goal. Robo-philosophy? Yeah, yeah, exactly. More like their own contradictory goals, and and some of them are just, like, crazy, power-hungry bandits. So Mm. the player... um, like you actually hijack a surveyor robot on the planet surface mm. and you just you go around and explore this like spacecraft ruins and find different kind of materials and objects and it's got a really cool aesthetic it's kind of a slower paced atmospheric game although it does have like a a shooting aspect but there're no it's silent. There's not really dialogue because there are no humans. Right. So like, it's, it's a bunch of like robots beefing at each other. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They kind of got like Star Wars kind of like grindy grit voices that speak their language and then you get text. Um, but yeah, you're like exploring this kind of ruins of these crashed spacecraft on this world. And mm-hmm. trying to figure out what the signal is that keeps crashing 
everything into this world and you've got like the other factions there that are trying to do their own thing. So you run into them, get into fights. But I, I just that thought was it was really a, awesome. Yeah, it's a unique world. It's got a cool art style. And it, it, it's just has it's like a lot of people wouldn't like it because it is it doesn't have that like fast paced kind of back and forth thing with like an epic story arc. Yeah, it sounds like it's more just like the experience, like exploring these places and kind of like seeing what's happening. Yeah, yeah, totally. So got- kind of like um, like almost not quite like walking simulator, but like kind of like 25 percent of that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people that voted it down on Steam said it was a walking simulator. Yeah, sometimes I like that. I have to be, like, in the mood for that, but there is something to just, like, taking in this, like, story that you're kind of exploring. So, where it's, like, I don't know, like, sometimes it's a very, like, just relaxing, casual experience because you're, you know, like, the story progresses, like, as you explore it, usually. Um, But it's not really dependent on you, like, tapping the button fast enough or whatever. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's not like you have people chasing you down. There, there's. The, it's just like you're just trying. It's like a mystery that's unfolding. I guess since we've been talking about uh, games that would operate around a mystery, that kind of brought this up for me. It's, it's mm-hmm. almost like it's. It is combat oriented sometimes, but like half yeah, the game, but not just, like the the primary like gameplay loop is. Right. So yeah, that sounds really awesome. That's cool. So. I'll actually send you that their like source guide. Nice. Something else. Yeah. yeah, that's that. That's another thing that shows that they put like some serious thought into this. You know. Yeah, it's impressive. Yeah, that's really awesome. Um, I've been playing uh, Breath of the Wild, which has been my obsession this week. Uh, but that's not <laughs> what I'm going to talk about. Although, I will give like a. I mean, like it's. Yeah, it's Zelda. It doesn't need like me talking it over advertising oh, it. Oh, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, like, while I, it's probably not like the best game ever, like a lot of people were saying, but it might be the best like open world like exploration game ever. Because um, it's one of the few that's built around specifically the idea of just having fun exploring. Um, awesome. Uh, but, yeah. Because like but, I, I'm kind of at the point where I feel like I don't want to play open. I've said this to you before. I'm just sick to death of open world games. Like I, I don't want them. Yeah, I don't really either. I realize the difference. I think is um, it has relatively few quests, um, and I think part of like the draw of game games with big world, at least to me, uh, when that kind of started being a thing, was this idea of just like going around and looking at the map and, like, finding some cool thing, and then you go there and, you know, there's some monsters hanging out, you get in a fight, and they're a little bit too tough, so you run away and you have you manage to get over the hill and shake them. Yeah. Like, that kind of just, like, organic experience instead of having, like, a quest that says to go there and then you get a update to the quest that says to run up here and stand on the trash can or whatever. <laughs> you know, and the map is, like, you know, like, the game just keeps puking, like, symbols on the map for you to go clear out, like, a... <laughs> like a vacuum cleaner. Yep, uh, yep. This this really doesn't. I think I found like six side quests so far, and some of them were like really just random stuff. Like the vast majority of it, you're kind of just exploring on your own. Like nice. you will see things that are relevant to you because they can help you like upgrade your your life or whatever. But a lot of it is just like, oh, there's a weird like standing stone there with a thing on top. Like 
I want to go see if there's something on top of it. Cool. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just this. It's basically the idea of, like, what if, like, exploring was actually just fun? Nice. You know. Um, but the actual nerdery I've been up to and I wanted to talk about was, uh, <laughs> which I mentioned already, was uh, X-Files. Uh, so back in the day, I was a huge X-Files fan. Like, I think anyone was who was born, who was a teenager, like, in that kind of early 90s, pre-internet. Oh, yeah. You know, everyone was into that. I remember when it came out, and uh, it was, like, like right when it came out, because they had that, um, and they only did this for, like, one or two episodes, where they had this uh, bit of text that appeared first saying, like, oh, this is based on, like, uh, actual cases. Well, that's how it got people. They're like, mm-hmm. is this is this a documentary? Is this real, like based on true events? What's right? Going on? And then, of course, you know, they got carried away, you know, like with like ghosts and like UFOs and shit. And <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, maybe not. So they gave up on that. But that was like the key, the hook to it. And like, so I've been rewatching it uh, with the kid, and to my surprise, he's like really into it too. I mean, I, a lot of the early stuff is really good. Like, it took a long time for the show to kind of like. Um, like fall off in quality and they got kind of like obsessed with their mythology and like the story arc which wasn't i think necessarily why people went to it um but it's been really fun to just rewatch because so much of it is uh like there's so many just cool ideas it's like watching like old twilight zone episodes or like original star trek or something where it's like yeah. you know like kind of like the monster of the week or the thing of the week you yeah know, like a strange thing happens, we should go find out what it is. And a lot of times, it's that's really all that happens, like, occasionally. You know, like, um, we're five episodes into season one now, and I think there's been one episode where they actually, like, stop, like, a villain. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, which is the one uh, with Tomb, the guy who can, like, stretch his arms. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, when I was a kid, that episode terrified me. It's <laughs> um, pretty intense. It, it was still pretty good. That's because it doesn't rely that heavily on like any effects, really. Um, and they did such a great job with you know like a modest budget, so it still worked really well. Um, yeah. But that was the only one so far where it's like, yeah, here's like an enemy that we have to deal with and capture. All the mm-hmm. rest of it is just like go see the weird thing, and then some stuff happens, and there's government conspiracy. Right. <laughs> so, so it's like a show where nothing happens, but you're like riveted to the scene anyway. <laughs> so yeah it's really um unfortunately i guess if you have hulu it's on there which is like the one streaming service we don't have uh, i end up just because i'm so slow at watching tv um so i figured like a season of like 20 some episodes um it was like 15 dollars on like uh um itunes so i figured that oh. would last me like a couple of months to watch through anyway nice that's a good way to watch i mean like binging just kind of burns things up for me. Like I get, I don't enjoy doing it. Like my wife will, if she really gets into a show, she'll just like watch it in in a week. And that's how she enjoys it. She just enjoys like spending a week and just watching the show and being kind of immersed in it and then just letting it go. It's a lot of people. Yeah, I think so. Um, But yeah, I don't really enjoy it. I have a pretty firm rule that whenever we're watching, we just watch one episode, which gets no end of trouble because we've been watching like The Mandalorian and they're only half an hour long. (laughs) Um, I got, uh, I think I've mentioned this off off recording, but uh, when we were watching the first season of Stranger Things, we got to the second to last episode and we watched it. And I was like, and it was over. And like it ends in kind of a cliffhanger and it's setting up like the 
dramatic episode and i was like okay that was great like uh we should go do some other stuff now with uh the kid and the wife looked at me like no we are finishing <laughs> it tonight like all right fine <laughs> there was no mercy there so but usually yeah i like especially for old shows that weren't meant to be uh to be watched like that you know like you don't have to wait a week between but like watch an episode tonight that's for podcasts or shows, that's really my favorite way of doing it. Nice. You know, I like just having, like, the time to, like, muse on it and think about it a little bit and kind of get the, you know, like, just a little bit of how it was m- meant to be uh, meant to be experienced. Sure. I think that's important. So, but yeah, so Original X-Files uh, still holds up. Now, I don't know, because that show went on for, like, nine seasons and... Back in the day, we fell out of it, and when we came back to the finale, it was really weird, and we had no clue what was going on. So I can't speak to the entire run, but um, season one, it's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I, and it's always good to revisit, like, some classic, like, TV that, you know, it's like revisiting, like, Farscape or something. It's just comfy and fun. Right, yeah. Yeah, it does, like... It's one of those things where... Oh, what. In the first couple seasons, they hint at, like, an overarching plot. And by the time they actually, like everything else, like, the mystery is so much better than the actual answer. Like, the payoff rarely ever hits that mark. Right. So, because whatever you had imagined it to be is always, like, cooler. Um, Yeah. And it's also, like, all TV shows. This happened with Star Trek as well and happened with Doctor Who as well. By the time the show starts being, like, concerned with its continuity and, like, becoming self-referential, that's kind of, like, when some of the energy goes out of it a little bit. Plus, that's when all the, like, nerds who write Wikipedia pages start watching the show. And once those do show up, uh, that's the no-fun brigade. Harsh, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I kid because I love, but only a little bit. Um, (laughs) You're right. I'm I'm not disagreeing with you. (laughs) Once once people start writing angry reviews because uh, somebody said the wrong planet in the episode, like that's the part that got you mad about the episode, then... So that's usually when I start tuning out. Like, There's a reason I tend to prefer original series Star Trek, even though... Later Trek has many, many great things and great stories and great episodes, but like <laughs> back back when they didn't re- remember what Klingons looked like, so they looked different every time they showed up. It just <laughs> kind of had like a magic to it, you know. It's like sure they weren't they weren't so worried about it. But yeah, I think that's uh, kind of what we had for the evening. Nope. <laughs> so the lessons is uh, watch some X Files, play some uh, story driven computer games. Uh, don't write a Wikipedia page about either of them, and then go uh, challenge yourself as a GM or even as a player. Yep, yep, yep. Try to avoid combat. <laughs> yeah. See how it works. Yeah, you know, don't write a wiki about your game either. Stop it. <laughs> we don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I got invited to a Dungeons and Dragons games once, and it was supposed to be just like a casual, like, "Oh, we both play games. We should get together." Yeah. And like an hour later, I got an email from the guy, who, and he had like created a whole Wikipedia page with like house rules and things. And I'm like, "This is a little more commitment than uh, I was, I was uh, signing up for." Now it's turning into like a correspondence course. <laughs> right, like. <laughs> Like, I just want to be like Bob the Fighter. Yeah, Thacko and my 20-sided die. 
That's what I'm here for. Oh, this guy was definitely not a Thacko kind of guy. This has to be a D, D, uh, D20 or nothing. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> the time of the edition wars. Maybe we yeah. should do an episode about that. <laughs> you know, we can get everyone mad by naming the wrong edition to be fans of with every game. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Why not? <laughs> All right, people. Um, I think that's everything I had on my mind tonight. Nope, same. Yeah, I hope everyone have a uh, a safe and comfortable week until we see you again. We won't actually see you, but that's maybe for the better because we're not always wearing pants when we record these episodes. <laughs> that and I might have some weird crusties and food bits in my neck beard, so <laughs> no one wants that. You're welcome, Ivan. You're yeah, welcome. it's a good thing I'm on a diet not to eat after 8 o'clock at night because I'm not gonna now. <laughs> <laughs> have a great night night everyone